Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Better get into the word here. I want to speak today on a topic that I believe is crucial for us in inviting and sustaining the presence of God and and the move of God, what God wants to do amongst us, particularly as we're seeing God beginning to pour out his spirit in greater measure, uh, even in our Numa family. And, uh, you know, I think there's there's a certain way of living that invites the presence of God and invites um, manifestations of his power in our lives. So uh, Romans chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse three, we'll put it up on the screen in case you don't have your Bible. If you do have your Bible, feel free to get your Bible at, out. It's good to actually bring a physical Bible. It's good to have an actual Bible. Who's got a, a, a physical Bible that they read regularly? Come on. It's good. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse three. For by the grace given to me, this is Paul. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I want to talk today about a culture of honor. Let's pray. Father, we love your word, and we thank you that when we open it up, your Holy Spirit begins to speak. We invite you, Lord, to do whatever you need to do in our hearts to shift things or change our attitude or perspective. Lord, we come to your word today with a willingness, even before we hear what you're going to say, to have repentant hearts, to be willing to change the way that we think so that the way that we live could be different. Father, we thank you for the journey that you had, you've had. you had us on. And Lord, um, you've done a lot in our lives, but God, we, we invite you to do more. We invite you, Lord, to have your way today. Speak in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first became a Christian, One of the things that stood out to me was how different the people were in the church that I connected into, how different they were from all the people that I was hanging out with before. Completely different. Now, I was in my third year at uni in the University of Memphis. I was in a fraternity. And uh, I don't know if you know much about fraternities in the United States, but Uh, You know, it's kind of like this social club, but there's a little bit of Freemasonry mixed in. So it's a pretty dark world. 
and uh, lots of crazy stuff goes on. But one of the things that we talked about was our loyalty to one another. And, you know, fraternity, it's for life. Man, this is a lifelong brotherhood. But I was so disappointed when I got in because I was like, where's the love, man? Nobody really actually likes each other here. It's There's a lot of bitterness and a lot of gossip. And uh, there were different factions and, and cliques and groups. And it was completely different than everything that they said it was going to be. And then I come into the church and I'm like, man, this is what I was looking for. This was the uh, the the brotherhood, the sense of of family that I thought I was going to have in this fraternity. But actually, these people are living it out. And of course, they weren't perf perfect. But what I was seeing and what I was experiencing in the church was in large part due to, to some degree, a culture of honor that had been cultivated in this church. There were things that these people valued that was different than what people in the world valued. And I found that I had to begin to shift and change my values. And a lot of it was just the result of what God did in my life. But there, there were mindsets and attitudes that had to be adjusted. If you've been around for uh, church for very long, you may have heard of honor spoken about in the context of how we relate to maybe church leaders. Um, but what some have called a culture of honor as it relates to leaders might be better called hero worship or even in most extreme um, forms, maybe even an environment where there can be spiritual abuse, elevating people to some level that's greater than God intended. I spent a very short amount of time in a church in Southern California where you know, they, they talked about honoring leaders, but it was more like idolatry. And I remember one time hanging out with this guy. He was in his mid-20s. He was a friend. And he was a part, he, he, he kind of connected and, and was discipled by the, the uni campus ministry leader. And I remember him saying he referred to this guy one time as his king. And I was like, that's weird. I'm like, I thought Jesus was our king. And it wasn't long before all of this, uh, all the secret sexual sins began to come out in this leader's life who had this whole secret thing going on behind closed doors. And I learned that was a, the, the clearest, a very clear example to me of how dangerous it can be when we have this view of honor that it only flows up. That's not biblical honor. We're talking about a now. It's right to honor our leaders, okay? God's word speaks about the importance of having pastors in our lives and, and showing them honor. However, a biblical culture of honor doesn't just have uh, honor flowing up, but sideways all different directions, 360 degree honor. That's the honor of God's kingdom. But in our Aussie culture, I wouldn't really say that honor is the norm, right? I mean, when I first moved to Australia 20 years ago, it took me a little time to get used to this whole cultural thing where if your Aussie friends really liked you, they actually like make fun of you and make you the butt of their jokes. And I was like, wait a minute, what's happening here? Like, do they not like me? Like what's, all right, and everybody, you know, to, somebody actually had to explain it to me. No, no, that means that they really like you. 
<laughs> they, they're cutting you down. <laughs> and uh, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to get used to this. And then, of course, we have the tall poppy syndrome, right? When someone seems to be get, getting a little bit too much honor, what do we do? We got to chop them back down to size. We got to bring them back down to our level. We can't have anybody in our culture that 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 gets too much honor. Got to keep everybody on the same level. And so it would seem that we have in our culture a little bit more of our Australian culture, a culture of dishonor. And so we cannot, if we're going to learn what a culture of honor is, we can't look at the world to teach us. We've got to look to His God's word, and we've got to have our mind renewed. We've been immersed in a culture that that doesn't necessarily teach us honor. And so there may be some adjustments that we need to make in the way that we relate to one another, relate to other people. We might need to repent. And, And let's not be afraid of the word repentance. It just means a change of mind that's so significant that it it transforms our behavior and the way that we live. And so this is crucial when it comes to developing a culture of honor. I love how what Paul says here, he really sums up what a culture of honor looks like. It's this this Holy Spirit-inspired competition where we try to outdo one another in showing honor. It's like, who, who, who can be the best? Who can be the strongest at showing honor? A culture of honor is one that is just full of people who do this. And so if there are any among us, if we want to have a culture of honor, if there are any among us who are not honorable in the way that we treat other people, then for us to have a culture of honor, those people need to change, right? And I would say that we can all learn a little bit something about how to go to the next level in showing honor. And so the first thing I want to say is this, that honor is an all-encompassing value of God's kingdom, but it's not always something that's easy to practice. It's a kingdom value, but not always easy to practice. If you're around here very long, you'll you'll hear that we have these seven kingdom culture values that really help to reflect uh, what it is that's important to us. And when I look at these, I can see how this this honor flows through all all seven of these. I mean, it's our honor of God and our pursuit of intimacy with Jesus that causes us to honor his word and prayer. It's the honor of the gospel and his kingdom purpose that causes us to lay down our lives for to be discipled and to make disciples. It's our honor of his presence and his promises uh, that, that, that causes us to create an environment where miracles are normal. It's our honor towards one another that's seen in our love and our generosity and uh, in our respect for one another's freedom and, and in our embracing of, of church as a covenant family. Honor flows through all of our kingdom culture values. But it's sometimes hard to live out. Why is it hard to live out this culture of honor? Because there's some imperfect people in this world. 
And if we're being honest, every morning when we get up in the mirror, get up in the morning and look in the mirror, what do we find? We find an imperfect person. There's one relationship where we are first challenged from the very beginning of our life or from, from being from a very young age where we are challenged and even commanded to show honor. And we see it in the fifth commandment and Paul speaks of it in Ephesians six, when he says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. God literally commands us to, to honor these two imperfect people, even if we knew them both, that brought us into the world. And then he says, I'm tying your length of life and your health in your later years to your willingness to honor them. Think about that. Not embracing a culture of honor, especially as it relates to our parents, can actually shorten our lives. How amazing is that? And so why does God make such a big deal out of honoring our parents? I believe it's because our ability to honor anyone else is connected back to our obedience to the fifth commandment and honoring our father and our mother. If we can't honor our parents, then we are going to struggle in every other human relationship that we have. Have you ever noticed that virtually all people who are who have relational conflict or challenge or difficulty in their lives and it's and it's chronic, it's perpetual, you know, where there's not maybe a lack of emotional health or some degree of dysfunction, it generally is always tied to unresolved issues with parents. And so God has to bring us on this journey of healing in this one area of honoring our father and mother before we can have health in any other relationship in our life. And so the healthier our relationship with our parents, the healthier our relationships are going to be with every other person that's in our lives. One of the hardest things to embrace about the fifth commandment is that it's not a suggestion that's conditional. It's a command. God never said that, you know, if your parents deserve it, then honor them. He just says, honor them. He just gives a command. And so when there's a command, we have a choice. We can either obey or we can disobey. And so one of the things that this tells us is that honor does not have to be deserved to be given. Doesn't have to be deserved. Before honor is given to anyone else in our lives, there's absolutely nothing that they have to do to earn or deserve our honor. Because honor is independent of performance. And that's why in a culture of honor, we forgive the bad while choosing to focus on the good. In a culture of honor, we forgive the bad while choosing to focus on the good. When my dad passed away, he was 48 years old. I was 25. He had a heart attack in the middle of the night. I had just been to the hospital to, to visit him. Actually, he had a heart attack the day before. I went to the hospital to visit him, spent some time with him left, got a call at 4.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm a, 
I wake up from my sleep and see at 4.30 in the morning, my grandmother's phone on the caller ID. No, my dad was just in, it was in the hospital. And man, you're talk, talking about this sinking feeling. And so she says, we got to get to the hospital quick. They've, um, they've called us, said, your dad's not doing well. So we got in there and he was gone before I got there. 5 a.m., my pastor's there. I'm in there. There's his body. It was the most surreal thing I've ever experienced. I, I, uh, uh, by, by like 12 o'clock, I'm, I'm picking out a casket. I go home and I sit down and I'm just mentally, emotionally exhausted. I open up the Psalms and just the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me and, and just wash over me. And, you know, I, I love that passage that speaks about how the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He draws near in our in our in our moments of, of greatest desperate need. And I pulled out a, and I felt the Lord say, I want you to write a letter to your dad. And so I pulled out this some paper, got a pen. I just started writing this letter. And what came to mind and what I began writing was basically a letter saying, Dad, thank you for all the great things that you've done. Now, there's a whole lot of things I could have written in this letter. Like, what were you thinking cheating on my mom so many times? Why did you leave when I was 17 years old? Why did you, why, why did you have to be the one to bring so much insecurity and pain into my life? Things started out so well, what went wrong? But instead, he begins, God just begins to remind me of all the good things. Thank you for how you took me fishing. You taught me patience by just keeping that hook in the water. You know, you, 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 you were always there at my, my baseball games. You, 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 you know, I, I just list all these things that we did together and just thanking him for the lessons that were, that were learned. All the times that he was verbally affectionate. He told me that he loved me. All the times that, that he disciplined me. There were two different storylines that I could have told at the funeral about my father. One of them would have made him sound like a villain. The other one would have made him sound like a hero. But in a culture of honor, we forgive the bad while choosing to focus on the good. And this is why it's so important to forgive. Because whether or not we can show honor to others is completely connected to the degree to which we understand the gospel and how much we ourselves have been forgiven. Man, God brought so much healing into my heart in that moment. Just standing up at the funeral and reading this letter to my, uh, to my dad and publicly honoring him after the last five years with him relationally had been complete hell. Something so powerful. That was a healing moment for me. And so in a culture of honor, we relate to people according to what God says about them. We don't relate to them on the basis of their behavior, or their performance. We relate to them about what God, according to what God says about them. As believers, we know that we've been born of the Spirit. We've been made in God's image. We've been blood-bought. We're born again. Old things have passed away. New things have come. We've been made alive in Christ 
raised up, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we have therefore uh, received this measure of grace, all of us from God, something valuable. And God calls us to relate to one another on the basis of that identity. Not to relate to one another on the basis of how we've acted more recently, but on the basis of the identity that we have in Christ. And so as we accurately relate to one another on the basis of the value, God actually positions us to be able to receive something and receive and unlock what is valuable inside of that person. But every one of us have value. It's not just those of us who've been made right with God, not just those of us who've been born again or Christians. Do you know that every single human being in this on this planet has value because they're all made in the image of God and all have been sacrificed for by Jesus. He so loved the world. And so we we honor people not on the value of of what may offend us about how how, how they live. We we show honor on the basis of identity, who God says that they are, how God values them. And so we got to look past our own tendency to measure people according to what irritates us or the flesh and to see and embrace and value what God sees. Every human being deserves honor because every human being is made in the image of God. This is why we're out red frogs making pancakes for uni students because they're all made in the image of God, loved by Jesus. I find often that when there's someone that God wants me to begin to disciple and speak, you know, impart life to, he gives me a vision for their lives. He, he shows me something. I remember, uh, in, in fact, there was uh, someone more recently and, and, and after we moved here to Perth that I had this prophetic vision, this picture of them. From the moment I met them and started and, and, and had this moment of prayer with them, it was like I saw this big field and I saw all of these diamonds just below the surface that were all covered up with dirt. And there have been many times along the journey where I have remembered and continued to speak over this person, how God sees them and therefore how I relate to them on the basis of what this person struggles to see even about themselves. But as I'm continuing to speak life and, and not relate to them on the basis of, of, of things that, that, of how they behave or how they perform or challenges or difficulties, man, I know what it feels like. I've been written off by people before. I've been related to by other leaders, not with a culture, not in a culture of honor where something happens and they, they judge you, write you off. You can't disciple anyone with that kind of spirit. People can't grow in that kind of environment. There's something so powerful and life-giving in a culture of honor when we can relate to people on the basis of what God sees in their lives. It's the way that God related to Gideon when he called him a mighty warrior. He was 
hiding out in a wine press, threshing wheat. You're supposed to be on the top of a hill threshing wheat. He's hiding out in a wine press. He says, he, he comes up to Gideon, just calls him a mighty warrior. Like, what are you talking about? I'm hiding out in a wine press, speaking destiny over him. David calls him a king, anoints him a king when he's out on the backside of, of a hill somewhere, just looking after sheep. And so whether we give honor to another has nothing to do with their character, but it has everything to do with our character. Whether or not we show honor is, is more reflective of our character than it is anyone else's character. And if we don't give honor to someone because they deserve it, but because God loves them, then whether we give honor to them reveals where we are in our own life, on our own journey from pride to humility. Do you know, it's actually pride that prevents us from showing honor. It's humility that makes the way for us to create a culture of honor. Have you ever noticed that following Jesus in many ways is a journey from a life of pride into a life of humility? And so we don't give honor to someone because they are honorable. We give honor to someone because we choose to be honorable. In a culture of honor, we can be generous with our words, having the humility to celebrate the honor that others receive. What's our next one? Bring our next slide up here. In a culture of honor, we're generous with our words. Can I ask you a challenging question? Have you ever struggled when you've heard someone else be honored and you weren't? How do you react when someone else is honored and you're not? Why is this person getting so much attention and I'm not? Why do they seem to be the favored one and I'm the one that's being ignored, whether it's in work or a church culture or whatever it is? I love how Peter says it. He says, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Why is it in due time? Why does what? What has to happen first? Humility has to be developed in the heart. And so sometimes God will purposefully withhold honor from us, even in a culture of honor, because he wants to reveal something in our hearts that he wants to change. One of the ways that we practice and try to teach our kids a culture of honor in our house is we... Um, we have this little birthday tradition. When, when it's someone's birthday, we just have our birthday meal and we go around the table and everybody has to say one thing that they love about this person, this family member whose birthday it is. Just speaking life over them. Just calling out greatness. Because we have to be trained to do that. It doesn't just come naturally. Our natural tendency is, even and we see this even in our sibling relationships, we see a tendency towards 
rivalry, a tendency towards measuring myself based upon whether I'm better than that person or not. We try to measure ourselves according to other people. But it, that's something that can exist in a culture of honor. Where there's jealousy, where there's selfish ambition, there is no culture of honor. You know, one of the most important roles or jobs of being a husband is to be an encourager in the home. Do you know, husbands, we, we model for our family a culture of honor. We teach our children a culture of honor, men, by showing love and encouragement, speaking words of life over our wives, over your wife, me over my wife, not over my wives, me over my wife. Collectively, we over our wives, individually. Men, it should be standard practice in your life to be regularly, verbally saying to your wife, you are beautiful. You do an amazing job bringing order to our family. Thank you for how you manage our home. Just speaking words of life. It should be regular should be, your wife shouldn't have to, if your wife have to, has to ask for it, then it's time to step up. Men, we are to honor our wives as the weaker vessel. What that means is there are areas where you have more power. You, it's, it's very common in a marriage for men to be the one who overpowers the wife. And, and, and God says, in fact, he says it like this. Peter says, some of you men are not getting your prayers answered because you are not honoring your wife as the weaker vessel. You're not creating a culture and modeling a culture of honor in your home. And so God is actively opposing you, Peter says, because you're not honoring your wife as you should be. How's that for bringing some fear of the Lord men? That your call to lead in your family is to lead by creating a culture of honor, speaking life, calling out beauty, calling out calling and destiny in your family. We honor through our encouraging words. We speak life over one another in the family of God. In a culture of honor, we celebrate the grace and anointing upon other people's lives. How did I word it on the slide up here? In a culture of honor, we value the presence of God. No, I think we've got one before that. Is there one before that? Might have missed that one. Anyway, go back. I'll just give it to you. In a culture of honor, we celebrate the grace and the anointing upon other people's lives. You need to catch this. This is so important. This is the only way that we can access reward that God has for us. Or let me say it like this. The primary way that we access reward is by honoring what God wants to impart to us from other people. Matthew chapter 10 speaks of how the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. What is he saying Jesus is saying, I'm specifically bringing people into your life 
to impart something to them, to you. And in order for you to receive from them, you have to honor what they carry and who they are. This is why we honor our leaders. Jesus gives gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip, to impart something of Jesus to us. They're a gift to us from him. And the degree to which we receive from Jesus is dependent upon the degree to which we honor what that person carries. We have Pastor Stacy Hillier next week. The reward that we receive is dependent upon to what degree we honor the grace that she carries, that she's coming with. If we're skeptical, if we're suspicious, then you can pretty much expect to not receive very much. What's crazy is you can have some people in a room like this who leave, man, God spoke to me, imparted something to me. Other people, not so much. Because it all has to do, the same person, same message, same is true with me today. Or Phil or Olivia or whoever's preaching. The degree to which we receive what God wants us to receive through others is dependent upon how much we value what they carry. It's not just our leaders, it's one another. Do you value what's on one another's lives? Do we value what others around us are carrying? I experienced this in my business. There were some people when I, I had a business for seven years mentoring property investors, there were some people, they would come into this program and, and there was just this hunger and expectation and recognition and belief that there is something I need to learn from Jason. There's something he's carrying that's going to be imparted to me. Man, those people had a life-changing year. There were other people that were a little bit suspicious, a little bit, you know, I don't know. I, we'll see how this goes. Some of them I won over. Others of them, I didn't. And they didn't get very much. You know, Jesus experienced this in his own life. Can you imagine? The son of God himself was restricted in his ministry because of a lack of honor from the people to whom he preached. He stood up in the synagogue, Isaiah, he reads Isaiah 61. This was in his hometown. He went back to Nazareth in his hometown and he stands up. This is where he grew up. He stands up and reads Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Reads the rest of the passage. And then he says, closes up the, the scroll and says, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. And some of the people were like really amazed, but then they were like, wait a minute. This is Joseph's boy. We grew up around this, him. There was this over-familiarity that prevented them from honoring and therefore receiving what Jesus carried, even as the son of God. And so it says Jesus wasn't really able to perform many miracles there except for just healing a few people. <laughs> he pressed through, got some people healed, but there were no significant miracles in Nazareth because didn't really honor what he was carrying. It's just Joseph's boy. It's our culture of honor that really opens to us the door to the miraculous and the supernatural. Because God often unlocks and brings new level of supernatural presence and grace through ministers 
through his people, through others, through one another, through the laying on of hands. When we value people for who God says they are, there's a reward and the supernatural begins to flow. And all of this again goes back to the challenge to honor your father and your mother. Can we have the worship team come back up? The relational dysfunction that we experience in our lives is generally always connected back to an unwillingness, which we might not even see it as an unwillingness, to forgive. And Jesus made very clear, our willingness to forgive is directly tied to our understanding of the gospel the finished work of Jesus. Remember he tells the, the parable about the, uh, the guy who has this huge debt and he comes to the, the king or whoever it was and he's like begs him for forgiveness and he gets the debt forgiven and then he goes off and then he's like really like harsh to the people that owe him money and he's like demanding for them to, to pay and then the king finds out about it and it's like, what is this guy, man, what kind of hypocrisy is this? The guy didn't value the degree to which he had been forgiven, and so he was incapable of extending forgiveness to anyone else. Let's say it in a more positive way. When we understand how sinful and broken our lives are or were, and when we recognize the, the, the degree to which every single one of us have sinned against a holy God and how undeserving we were of his forgiveness and the great links that he went to to forgive, crucifying his own son. When we recognize that, how could we, and then we receive forgiveness from him being mindful of his holiness, how we deserve eternal separation from him. And yet he makes a way, not because of anything we've done, but because every it, all we have to do is believe and receive a free gift. How could we not then forgive others? And so there's something about this revelation of the gospel that positions us to be willing to have great relationships with everyone around us because it's so easy to resolve conflict. Yeah, it's all good. No, 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 it's fine. I've, listen, I know, like how could I hold my, your sin to me against you when I've been forgiven of, of so much? And so the final point here, in a culture of honor, we value the presence of God above all else. There's something that happens in God's presence where he begins to reveal himself to us in a, Unique, unique way. That's why we gather together. That's why we don't forsake the gathering together of believers, not so that you can please the pastor or not so you can tick a box of religious duty, but because God uniquely manifests his presence when the people of God gather. We are collectively the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Revival, when it comes to the city of Perth, will begin in gatherings like this. And then it'll spread out from here. And so there's something significant about gathering together and honoring the presence of God. And, and let me tell you something. In our culture, there is a tendency to dishonor the presence of God, not, not overtly, but simply by having an attitude or mentality that, oh, I can take it or take or leave church. Like it's just some event that we add on to our lives. This is not some event. This is the people of God gathering to host the presence of God. And so we honor this moment. We honor his presence. We, we get excited about being together because the presence of God is here. And we're the family of God. And these are our, these relationships where we go so deep because God, the Holy Spirit, shifts us and changes us and leads us into this culture of honor. And so can we worship God with that kind of a recognition in this moment? Can we just end our time together today by just encountering the Holy Spirit in worship, truly honoring his presence and allowing a greater understanding of the gospel, just, just even as it began in our communion time, what a beautiful just telling of, of how relevant the gospel is in our lives. Can we just hear the gospel message afresh as we worship? Can we honor his presence? Can we give him thanks for his finished work and what he's done? That there would be a, a, a pathway cleared for us to honor one another. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.